there. The media was there. Um, we have done a little bit of research, and it seems that our race, our kids' race, is one of the largest kids' races in the state of Texas. And uh, we've done this five years in a row. We gave uh, how much money? This past year, 11500 Last year, no, last week, uh, two weeks ago when we did the race, we gave Conroe Independent School District $11,000 to fund their Read for a Better Life program. But in the last five years, we've given them $39,500 through this race. And um, to pull a race at this magnitude off, it was in Town Green Park here in the Woodlands. Uh, we used to be at Market Street, but we literally outgrew Market Street. Uh, in order to pull this off, it takes months and months of planning. And Pastor Lance is our race director, and our staff put this gift together for you. And uh, I'm glad this. these are the interns. And they're like, we are not going to bring your table up or your notes or your props until you honor Pastor Lance. They're like, well, I ain't doing it. So you deserve, you deserve that. Thank you. Give him one big round of applause, will you? Absolutely. All right. Can I have my table now? That's like my security blanket. Really, my notes are on it. But um, uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the Apostle Paul, because when he wrote uh, his letters to the church, he was incredibly transparent in the fact that his gifts and talents uh, were under par. Uh, he did not have a set of skills that were impressive at all. Um, he, he wasn't necessarily a pastor. He was an apostle. He oversaw churches. So pastor, he was a pastor to pastors. So he would come to town and he would encourage the pastor. He would encourage the church. Um, but because of the way he looked... Uh, one church in 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 in, uh, in, uh, in particular, the Church of Corinth, didn't respect him because of the way he looked. Uh, I know that sounds shallow, but it's the actual truth. Here's here. Let me read it to you. Second Corinthians chapter ten, verse one. Now I, Paul, appeal to you with the gentleness and kindness of Christ. Though I realize you think I am timid in person, and bold only. When I write from afar away. So uh, if, you, if I were to read more verses to you, but for the sake of time, I'm not. They felt like the letters that we now call scripture, they were too heavy. Way too heavy. Uh, but whenever he showed up in person, he was timid and passive. So they were complaining about him in person and they were complaining about his letters. So on the one hand, he was timid they didn't like that. Then he was pointed with them. They didn't like that. Have you ever met somebody you can't win for losing? He's like, I'm trying to do everything I can here. But when you peel it back and you find out, why did they discard him? Why, why wasn't there any credibility there? It was so um, shallow. Watch this. Uh, I read this. Uh, um, uh, a historian uh, said this about the Apostle Paul, the way he looked. He was a little man, crooked and almost bent like a bow, with a pale countenance, long and wrinkled, a bald head, which I take personal. I'm like, come on, man, bald is hot. Um, 
That's what my wife says anyway. His eyes, watch this, full of fire and benevolence. His beard long, thick, and interspread with gray hairs, as was his head. Um, Another historian said this. He had a small and contracted body, somewhat crooked and bowed. A pale face, he looked old, and had a little head. Now, I don't know that I've ever looked at anyone like, dude, you got a little head. Ever. I don't even know what a, who measures heads these days. Uh, all right. Anyway, um, and had a little head. He had a sharp eye. Now, one historian said that his eyes were full of fire and benevolence. Another one said that his eyes were sharp. Now, how do you see a person's souls, a, a person's soul through their eyes? So you can say what you want about him physically. And that's what man looked at. But when God saw him, he saw his heart and it was full of fire and passion and benevolence and kindness. But they didn't see that. Uh, watch this. Uh, he had a sharp eye. His eyebrows hung downwards. This is what I call a backhanded compliment. If you don't know what a backhanded compliment is, you're about to hear it. His nose was beautifully bent. Thank you. I think. Right. Somewhat long. So he was Italian. His beard thick and pretty long. And that, as of the hair of his head, had sprinkling of gray hairs. So he was short. He was bowed. um, He had a long face. He was pale. He was bald. um, and, And what in another passage of the Bible, it says that he trembled when he spoke. And so he's short, he's crooked, he's bald, and, and according to some theologians, he, could, he couldn't read. He, is, he had bad eyesight. That's why he had somebody else write his letters. So he's bowed, he's short, he's bald, and he's scared to talk in front of people. His voice quivered. He got nervous. And so people would look at him in all of their shallowness and full of flesh and pride. They would look at him and they're like, I'm not impressed with you. And, and you're so timid. Watch this. Why should we even follow you? In fact, the church of Galatia, they backed up and they were drawn away by other speakers, by other preachers who had more charisma. And watch this. They had more money. And so Paul would come to town who didn't have two dimes to, 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 to rub together. And when they, he would come to town, they would give the people gifts. And and Paul can't compete with that. They had money. They would buy gifts. And Paul would say this. These people, you can read about it when you get home. Don't read about it right now. It's in Galatians chapter 4. He says, these people are trying to win you over with gifts. But watch this. He goes, they only give you gifts whenever I'm there. He goes, if they really loved you, why don't they give you gifts all the time? He goes, they're trying to pull you. Watch this. Let me read it. He goes, they're trying to pull you towards themselves And shut you off from me. And so here he is. He is literally wrestling uh, with being liked. He's he's wrestling with being accepted. This is the Apostle Paul here. And when you get right down to it, 
he can't win. When he's in person, they don't like him. When he writes his letters, they don't like him. And so he backs up and, and he begins to pour his heart out. And, and I want to just uh, point out three things today. Uh, three points. If you ever find yourself in that situation where you think to yourself, I don't know that I have the skill set to do what I wish I was able to do. Three things. Number one is you have to define the win. What does winning look like? For those of us that like sports, winning is crystal clear. For basketball, you take this orange ball, you put it in that hole. Done. If you like football, you take this brown ball and you run it down the the field. And if you cross that line, you get points. Crystal clear. It defines the win. In life, if you live 90 years, 110 years, What does a win look like? At what point do you back up and go, I'm doing good? Because if you're Paul and you don't know what a win looks like, you can get depressed that fast. We got to know what a win looks like. Let me tell you uh, what some people think a win looks like. Um, The bigger, the more commas you have in your bank account, the more you're winning. If that were the case, rich people wouldn't be jumping off of buildings in Los Angeles. They jump off of buildings everywhere. But if money solved all problems, um, all rich people would be happily married. We know that's not true. Uh, Some people, it's not money. Some people, it's it's the it's the the esteem of success. I don't want to be the guy with the mop in the building. I want to be uh, high up in the organization. I want to call some shots, and that's success. And so when they back up and they decide, is my life doing awesome? Am I doing good? That's their win. you got to know what your win is. Those are both what I call shallow wins, shadow wins. You think they're a win, and you waste your whole life pursuing that win. It's not actually a win. Francis Chan said it this way. You shouldn't fear failure, but fear failing at something that doesn't matter. That's you got to know what a win is. Some people think a win is being smoking hot. Let me just make you depressed just for a minute. I read. uh, (laughs) I shouldn't say this. Never mind. Um. You know what? I'll go ahead and say it. I read a, I read a, a study. <laughs> I know you're saying, don't say it, don't say it. Whatever you're about to say, if it's not on your notes, don't say it. I'm going to say it anyway. A woman hits their peak at 21 and a guy hits their peak at 25. As far as looks. So if you're older than 21 and beauty is your win, you lost. If being smoking hot is your win in life and you're a guy and you're older than 25, you are officially losing. All right. Now, some of you women are like, wait a minute, 21 for a woman, 25 for a guy. Don't get caught up in the details. Just know, don't pursue beauty. It's a phantom win. Uh, I read this story of this middle aged lady. Uh, she got rushed to the hospital and, and passed away on the operating table. It was terrible. She appeared before God and, uh, and God said, don't worry. 
to, you're going back to earth. Uh, you're going to live another 20 years. I just wanted to show you a few things in heaven and, and sent her back. She got back and she was so excited. Uh, here, let me read it to you. She was so excited that uh, she went and got a, a facelift. She got liposuction. She got a tummy tuck. She got a few enhancements. She's going to live a life. She got another 20 years. She ran across the street one day and got hit by a bus and died. She showed up before God and she was like, God, I thought you said I was going to live another 20 years. And he said, girl, I didn't even recognize you. <laughs> My bad. I... You, we got to know what a win is. And, and it can't be those shadow wins. It can't be those phantom wins. Let me tell you exactly what a win is. This is when you back up and you go, okay, I only got one life to live and I'm living it well. This is how you know. Are you ready? When your life, day by day, you're getting an increased, increased awareness. That the presence of God is around you and you're interacting with him more and more every day and increase awareness. And you're in act, in, in, interacting with him more and more every day. See, in first Thessalonians 517, it says, don't ever stop praying. Praying is not a monologue, it's a dialogue. And so what the Bible is saying is, I want to communicate back and forth with you all day, every day. An increased awareness. You know that you are in stride. You're building momentum when you have an awareness that the Holy Spirit is here. Some people, it doesn't ever cross their minds. And other people, it's always on their mind. Smith Wigglesworth said this. He goes, I very rarely pray for an hour. But I don't let an hour go by without praying. It's this increased awareness. And when you're constantly aware of the presence of God and you're always praying in your mind and in your heart, you end up going on one assignment to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. One person in the hallway, one person in the office, one person on the plane, one person on the phone. You find yourself, the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, it says, No man knows the thoughts of God except for the Spirit. And it's that Spirit that He puts inside of you so that you may know the thoughts of God. So you are dialed in and you are winning in life when you are aware of his presence. You're talking with him and you feel like he is using you and putting you on assignment after assignment. And I know what you're thinking. There are other things in life that I need here on earth. He knows that. You don't need a car in heaven, but you need it here on earth. You don't need a job in heaven, but you need it here on earth. He says this, if you pursue me. If you seek first the kingdom of God, I'll add those things unto you. See, if you seek heaven, God will throw the world in. But if you seek the world, you lose out on both. So there's three things. Number one is to define a win, to, to know what a win is. Number two, um, I've only got three points for you. Number two is to embrace the process. It's very difficult to embrace a process when it's not your process. Everybody likes rules as long as you're the one writing them. 
Are you with me? It's like I know there's a process. See, processes determine outcomes. So when you're in the middle of a process, you can already tell what the outcome is going to be with the process. If you're on a diet, but you're only eating brownies, you know. You're not going to be surprised. Are you surprised? No, I'm not surprised. I'm disappointed, but I'm not surprised. The process determines the outcome. God's process is completely different than ours. The Bible says this, that his ways are above our ways. And so when we back up and we don't understand his ways, we just got to take confidence in his heart. His process is different than ours. But his process is better than ours. Way better. I'll give you an example. Um, When Jesus worked his very first miracle, recorded miracle. I say it was recorded because it was at a wedding when he turned water into wine. I don't think that that was his first miracle. Because his mother said, Jesus, we're out of wine. He looks, she looks at the servants and she says, now do whatever he says. How does she know? I think, I think, this isn't in the Bible. I think that was the first recorded miracle. But in the house, when it was just Mary and Jesus, Jesus was like, hey, mom, watch this. Huh? 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 Now I got four. Now I got five. Now I got 15. No, I'm just kidding. Like, how did, where did that confidence come from? How does she know he can do miracles? That's my point. But anyway, they ran out of wine at the wedding. And so Jesus backs up and he says, hey, I want you to fill that, 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 uh, that cistern, that goblet. I want you to fill them all up with water. And when they filled it up with water, they brought it to the master of ceremonies. And when the master of ceremonies drank it, he said, this is the best wine I've ever had in my life. This is awesome wine. Now, um, for those of you that like our Facebook page, I was standing in Speck's liquor store um, buying this wine, which was so funny because I was standing in Speck's liquor store taking a video of myself to post it on, on Facebook. And by the way, all of you that shared it, I love you. Thank you. But anyway, I was recording myself. I'm like, I'm standing here in Specs buying some wine. And the people that work at Specs are like, you don't do that kind of stuff, right? So I, well, what do I know? I'm not like a, a regular at Specs. But anyway, um, so I, I, bought, uh, I, I buy some bottles of wine. And, uh, and what's so interesting is that in order to make wine, it's a process. Even if you get the cheap stuff at, like, Valero, it's still a process. You get better stuff, it's a longer process. The better the wine, the longer the process. The master of ceremony says, this is awesome wine. That means the process should be really long. So I don't know how much a good bottle of wine costs. I think this bottle of wine cost me 25 bucks. It was made, uh, it was bottled in 2014. Uh, this one was bottled in 2013. Um, this one was bottled in 2015. 
I emphasize bottled because that's when they took it and put it in there. The process of getting it to the point of ready to be bottled was a lot longer than three years or two years. They're not even counting taking the grapes, putting them inside a bucket, and having Italians. They're not even counting that. All right? To have a good glass of wine, it requires about five to six years of preparation. Jesus took five or six years of preparation and eliminated five or six years and turned it into five or six seconds. He took water and made it into wine within seconds. In fact, if you read the passage, the guy is walking. He says he brought water to the master of ceremonies and when he drank it, it turned into wine. So he's walking over there with water. He hands it to the master of ceremonies. He's got sweat dripping off of his head. All he sees is water. The master of ceremonies takes the water, 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 water. He's drunk, so he doesn't even know. That's why he says, why did you save the best wine for last? He's already been plastered. So he's a water, 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 wine. In a nanosecond, God did what takes us six years. So when we don't like the process, I don't know what God's doing. I don't like what God's doing. It's so confusing to me. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't The process, God takes time out whenever he gets ready. If I tell you to come over to my house to eat fish today, it's going to take me at least two hours to go to H-E-B. Actually, I won't go to H-E-B. I will call up uh, Chuck Seafood and buy it and bring it to the house and put it on plates and make you think that I fried it. <laughs> Chuck Seafood. Papa's, that's probably where I'd go. But if I were to fry it, I have to go out, cook it, catch it, fry it. Just for you, if I go out and catch it, fry it, cook it, skin it, we're talking about a day. That's if I catch on the first day, which we all know. There's a difference between fishing for fish and catching fish. Right? Let's say I wanted to feed all of you fish. How much preparation do I need? Let's say I wanted to feed 5,000 people fish. How much preparation do I need? 5,000 a month? Jesus needed two seconds. He took two fish and five loaves, blessed it, and fed 5,000. When you get nervous about the process that God has you through, don't take your time and equate results because God can take time out. He just takes it out. He can change your season just like that. One phone call, one job, one hire, one raise, one miracle changes your entire life in a moment. It's in our best interest to back up and say, I don't understand your process, but I'm going to keep focusing on what a win is and just leave the process and the results in your hands. 
Number three, um, I want to talk about weakness, um, uh, our strength, rather. So number one is the, is the win. Number two is the process. And number three is our strength. Because our strength in Paul's eyes are not necessarily our strength in other people's eyes. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. I delight in my weakness, in insults. Hey, you got a little head. Hey, you, you look like a bow. You're so crooked. You can look like a bow. You can't even. How many fingers am I holding up, Paul? He delights in weaknesses and insults. See, watch this. Hardships and persecution and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's like me saying, hey, guys, come to church next week. I'm going to sing. And I am the worst singer ever. You're going to love it. Right? That's like enjoying your weakness and delighting in your weakness. He says he makes it a point not to brag about his strengths and his goodness. In fact, he says at one point, he goes, I went to the third heaven, but I'd be a fool to even tell you about that experience. He won't brag. Because because it's in my weakness that I'm the most effective. To help this make sense, um, a couple weeks ago, um, I'm going to be real transparent so nobody get me in the lobby after service and try to counsel me, okay? I don't, I don't need it. Every time I'm transparent, somebody wants to quote a scripture to me in the lobby, and I'm just like, dude, you're oversaved, man. Just... You ever meet somebody oversaved? You get in the elevator and like, I'm going down. Well, like, how down hell are you going to go? You're not going to hell down, are you? I know you lost your keys, but is your soul lost? Well, leave me alone. So no oversaved people can talk to me. So a couple weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, I, I spoke and I felt like I bombed. I didn't feel like I did good. And... Um, I took it really bad because I know this church. I know the personality of this church. And many of you take your responsibility very serious. Our responsibility is to recognize that church just isn't about us and me. This is where we bring people who who don't know Jesus. All week long, including my wife and I, we've, we've got some friends coming at the next service. Um, all week long, I know many of you are looking for friends and family to bring to church. And when you invite them, you're setting a certain expectation. Hey, our church is awesome. you got to come. So I, I feel the responsibility of doing a good job. And I felt like I let you guys down a couple weeks ago. I didn't feel like I did a good job. And so I got in the car, and I'm just like, ah. Oh. I know people invited friends. They told them church was great, and I didn't do good. And, and I know all the right answers. It's not about you. It's about God. I know, but I want to do my best. So two days went by, and I'm still down. I'm still depressed about it. So I texted my mother-in-law. Her name is Jeannie Mayo. She's a perfect person to text, one, because she's my mother-in-law, but two, she's, watch this, she's 70 years old, and she's one of the most sought-after 
speakers in the country in the world of Christianity. She's she's on the stage with Hillsong. She goes to the Silver Dome. She's 70. It's unbelievable. Um, I texted her and I was like, Mom, on a scale of 1 to 10, I think I, I was like a 4 or 5. And she texted back, Honey, that is awesome because I just spoke at an event and on a scale of 1 to 10, I was a 1. And I circled up my staff and, and I apologized to them that I didn't do well. This is shameful to admit, but when I read that text, I was like, yes! I was like, man, you bombed! <laughs> but I felt so good! I was like, man, maybe I didn't do so bad. Now watch this. What if she would have text message back? Hey, I just spoke at Hillsong and crushed it. I would have been so depressed. See, we use our, our weaknesses to heal others. Our weaknesses are more valuable to others in many situations than our strengths. Because we depend on God. God, I need you. If you don't help me, I'm in trouble. But if you're already strong in that area, you may not even pray before you go into that situation. Because you're not going to say it out loud, but I'm, I'm pretty good, you know. It's in our, our weaknesses where we're strong. I've got a, a box of crayons up here. And uh, I remember as a kid... Um, I used to uh, to love the color um, black. I don't know why. But I remember I broke it. And uh, I've got it in here. So I broke it already in the first service. But I remember I broke it. And uh, when I... I don't know. I, I think I've always been OCD to some degree. But I don't like things that are not right. So even though I needed black as a kid, I remember discarding it and just going to grab another color that's like... A perfect crayon. Got the color in with that. My dad came over on this day that I'm recalling. And he picked up the black. And I had discarded the black. Because it was broken. I don't like broken crayons. And he took it and he peeled the paper back. And started coloring with the black. And, and it dawned on me that broken crayons still color and if I realized years later that it's the broken parts of our lives that if we use them and not hide them and discard them and only show people our strengths it's those broken parts that color the most beautiful pictures and so we can talk about our home runs in life all we want to. But when we back up and we share our struggles and what's hard and what our challenges are. And when the process doesn't feel like it's working. Or if we don't feel like we're winning on the right scoreboard. And we're backing up and we say, look, I, my marriage is not doing good. Instead of pretending like it's awesome all the time. It is those areas that are the most healing and the most encouraging. And so for those of you that are the most broken, 
and in broken in multiple areas. Finances. Self-esteem and depression and relationships. The more areas that you're broken are the more areas that you have leverage to heal. If you're only going to remember one point today, broken crayons still color beautiful pictures. Let's all stand to our feet for me, please. Everyone here, just bow your head and close your eyes. Nobody looking around. I don't know where your relationship with the Lord is. I don't know your personal story. But whether you're a believer and you come to church all the time or you never come to church, let me ask you this question. If your heart were to stop beating in the next five minutes, are you 100% sure you know where you'd spend eternity? If the answer is no, would you just raise your hand right where you're at, please? I see, I see hands going up all over this room right now. As an outward sign of surrender, can we all just raise both hands? And out loud together, can we just say these simple words? Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Would you please forgive me? I make you the Lord and Savior of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me pray a blessing over you. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his face shine down upon you. May his countenance be lifted up on you and deliver you. And may the grace and peace of God be with you all the days of your life. In Jesus' name, amen. There's no official dismissal. You can leave whenever you want to. But let's just sing this song one time through before you leave. Be blessed in the name of the Lord. I'll see you next week. You give light, you are love, you bring light to the darkness, you give hope.